everything that happens under white supremacy happens for a reason. Nothing happens in isolation. And when it comes time to creating these moments of great national significance, they are for the sake of reinforcing the indoctrination that everything under white supremacy is great and ought to be killed for. There was a rapper who shall remain nameless who said that how can you die for someone else's throne when you won't even die for your own? And he was absolutely right. White supremacy teaches that you should be dying for white supremacy, but don't you dare die for your own empowerment. When you have these so-called holidays under white supremacy, the whole effect of it is to take these national cultural memorials to the bad guys and to put them on the same level as, say, Jesus Christ. The banks close and there's no garbage picked up on that day. So that's the same thing that happens on December 25th, same thing that happens at the beginning of the new year, same thing that happens on Easter, and the same thing that happens on the 4th of July. Or the 4th of July is what it ought to be called because that's what it is. Now, for black people, the only real holidays that we should have are ones that edify us. Now, of course, Juneteenth is going to be the one that comes to a lot of black people's minds, but that, to me, is making it overly simplified. We need to make sure that our heroes, our champions, are part of our cultural memorials. Because that's what holidays are. They are cultural memorials. The same way that you would build a physical memorial in the town square, you build cultural memorials in the minds of the people through holidays. Special days set aside for the observance of particular people or events. And we have a lot of them, by the way. December 31st, that's Dr. Joseph Binyakinen's birthday. How many of you didn't know that? May 19th. Malcolm X's birthday. But of course, to me, the most hallowed day of the year is January 1st. Ain't got a damn thing to do with the European satanic Gregorian calendar saying that that's the beginning of the new year. All other cultures understand that the new year begins with the spring because that's when the earth in their area is coming back to life. But the European has everything ass backwards and inside out. He has no idea up is down and down is up for him, so he gets it all wrong. He values killing and death, so to him the beginning of the new year is in the middle of the dead winter. But January 1st is the birth date of the Grand Master Teacher himself, Dr. John Henrik Clark. See, these are real holidays that black people should memorialize. January 26th, Ivan Van Sertima's birthday. January 12th, the birth date of the warrior scholar par excellence, Khalid Abdul Muhammad. See, January should be a holy month for those of us who are into black empowerment, for those of us who got our heads on straight. January should be a holy month for us because of how many of our great men and women of moment were born, came into the world during that period. But July 4th, what should that be to us? Just a reminder that the war to derail, dethrone, and overthrow white supremacy still continues. It should be a date that we can 
kindles the fire to tear down this wicked white system. That's what July 4th ought to be to us. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with how Frederick Douglass addressed July 4th over 150 years ago, just to remind you how ain't a damn thing changed. Allow me to begin. Fellow citizens, pardon me, allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I, or those I represent, to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? And am I, therefore, called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. To drag a man in fetters into the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems were inhuman mockery and sacrilegious irony. Do you mean, citizens, to mock me by asking me to speak today? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer a day that reveals to him, more than all other days of the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciation of tyrants brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality hollow mockery, your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy, a thin veil to cover up crimes that would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation of the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour forth a stream, a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. 
For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed. And the crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. Those were the words of Frederick Douglass, spoken over 150 years ago. He was pointing out the hypocrisy and the evil of the United States, and particularly of the people of the United States. Because the United States is an evil empire, always has been. That's the reason why Frederick Douglass's words ring just as true today as they did when he first spoke them over a century and a half ago. Because nothing has changed. The slave fields have been exchanged for the prison industrial complex. Slavery as a private sector institution has been replaced as slavery as a public sector institution. And it has been this way because that is what the United States exists as. For any of these institutions, any of these peculiar practices to ever go away would destroy the very founding of the country because it was founded to be an oyster for white people. Principally those at the very top, but of course because you have a global empire that sucks the wealth of the world into the hands of a select few, you need some foot soldiers, so that's where the rank and file poor white trash on the street comes in. That's their part to play. As Mr. Superboy223 is so fond of saying, this country was founded by thieves, slaves, and opportunists. And at no time is this putrid reality more sickeningly obvious than now, on this day. White people demand that black people celebrate their holidays. That's mind control. That is coercion. That's slavery. Celebrate, celebrate the hell what? That these good white people can kill with impunity, oppress with impunity, rob the riches of the planet with impunity, because that's what they're demanding that you celebrate. They get to trample every standard of law, justice, and decency with total impunity, and then turn around, pat themselves on the back, and brag about how such good people they are afterwards. A favorite talking point used by white supremacists and their surrogates is to say that the U.S. is the country everyone's trying to get into. Well, that denies one fundamental historical and human reality. First of all, it's a gross exaggeration. Chinese are trying to get into Japan, Koreans want into China, Slavs and Poles want into Western Europe, Britain in particular. North Africans want to Southern Europe, but it's not for these places' values. That's not what's bringing the people there. The people coming there could care less about whatever alleged ideals these countries have. That's part of the reason why immigration is such a sticking point in these societies and so controversial. The political opportunists in these countries tell lies like that about, well, they are here because only our values have created the prosperity that we have that so much of the world envies. Um, it wasn't America's values that created its wealth. It was the stolen labor of the African that did it. That's what amassed America's wealth. That's what the people are interested in, the resources, 
that have been hoarded in these lands. The G8 countries are rich because they monopolized much of the world's resources. Mexican migration has always been a huge problem for the United States in a number of ways. But the last 25 years or so after the passage of NAFTA, the steady stream of Mexicans breaking into the U.S. became a full-fledged tsunami. Now, why did Mexicans go from steadily flowing into the country to rushing in? Because American corporations, particularly agribusiness concerns, put the peasant farmers, the campesinos down south, out of business, among other nasty effects of that. So, a lot of the Tonsum and Jetsum were coming north for the resources that were no longer south. The Romans, by the way, duplicated the same thing in their day, as did the Greeks and others. So to brag that people want into a place that has amassed resources doesn't mean that it's such a good place, or that it's because it's such a wonderful, awesome, unique place. It's because they're the thieves that ran off with everything. But it's been lies like these that have served as a kind of ethno-political pep talk for the white majority. And these lies have been repeated since before the country's founding. It's a perennial lie that the European has always used. What has the United States given to the world? I mean that seriously. What has the United States given to the world that wasn't previously there before? Was it the Industrial Revolution? No. It was Britain that gave that to the world before the United States was established, by the way. The U.S. wants to brag mostly that it's America's values that it gives to the world, bragging about democracy. By the way, Britain would do the same thing. Britain calls itself the mother of democracies, when in fact they are the mother of global dictatorships. They took freedom away. They didn't bring it anywhere. But even the good white folks in the U.S. have to admit that the United States was founded by slave owners and genocidal killers. Men who raped and killed and enslaved untold millions without a pang of remorse. And their country that they founded reflects their degenerate character. Worse than that, they not only showed no remorse, they reveled in their barbarity. Francis Scott Key wrote the national anthem, and he himself, as I detailed here on this channel, was an unrepentant slave owner. In fact, slavery was so precious to Francis Scott Key that that animal made certain to enshrine praise for slavery into the very verses of the Star Spangled Banner, which white people demand that black people stand and put their hands over their hearts and weep tears for. A song that celebrates how no slave can escape his bondage, that praises the enslavement and the dehumanization and slaughter of black people. I was told to stand for that. You can go to hell. And I'm not particularly picky about who sends you there. Have you ever wondered why it is that the European demands that there be all sorts of noise made and all sorts of displays of spectacular fireworks during their holidays? It's because of the fact that it's a psychological technique. You have certain days and only those days when you have to make an unholy clamor, an unholy racket. And of course, this is done to make sure that people are not able to escape it. You're not able to have any moment's peace because of the fact that there is all of this noise going on. That's a psychological technique. Torturers use it 
on people who they have put into prison cells as a means to psychologically break them down. But of course, the use of fire is also equally important, if not more so. Did you know that during the 1930s, when the Nazis would have their little rallies, they would often, at night, have their little Nazi marching bands complete with fire-lit torches walking through the streets of Berlin. They would make sure to make noise so that when people would come to their windows, they would see just this stream of fire, which is just filled with torches. But you know, at, at night, especially without street lamps, they didn't have too many of those in Berlin at that time, especially in many areas of the city. You would have just at night this, this river of fire coursing through the street in front of your home. And it would be accompanied by unholy noise. That's a psychological technique. And the Europeans have been doing it since the days of the Romans. The Scandinavians would do the same thing back when they were stealing um, slaves from Britain, quiet as it's kept. See, they don't talk about slavery over there. How the hell are they going to teach the world about freedom when all they've ever known is slavery and to enslave? Though that's not to say that white people are wrong when they claim that the U.S.'s egalitarian values have indeed inspired the world, but the lie is when they try to attribute this moral exceptionalism to white people, to the white majority. American egalitarianism, American liberty, American freedom are in fact African-American egalitarianism and liberty and freedom. These were the black man's gifts to the world from this wicked country. But then again, the European, since he had stolen everything else from the African, he would decide to go ahead and steal this as well. Let's get this on the record. Whatever moral exceptionalism the U.S. is seen to have is attributable only to the black man and the black woman in the U.S. We have been the ones who have tried to force this country, largely in vain, to live up to a lot of the boasting and a lot of the sloganeering that it specializes in. The story of this wicked white land can best be described as this. A struggle by the black man and black woman to force the most powerful country in the history of the world to behave with even a shred of decency and the struggle of the white majority to resist this progress. Anytime white America has tried to credit white men with making America great, they immediately have to apologize for all the crimes that these same white men committed. They don't even get a chance to praise their so-called heroes without having to apologize for them. What kind of heroes are these? There are a lot of words that can describe the great men of white America, but the one term that can never be attributed to any of them is moral. And without morality, a man cannot claim to be any higher than a beast. A man who kills to protect himself is merely a man. A man who kills to protect those who are being threatened is a hero. But a man who kills merely so that he can take what others have, he is worse than a thief. He is lower than a dog. So, what do you call men like George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin, and John Hancock, who were slave owners and who used their unique place in history to declare that all men were created equal and then write a constitution that boldly declared that black men 
were only three-fifths human. A better question would be, what do you call those who praise and laud such failures like this? This fundamental hypocrisy is an indelible stain that this sick country cannot wash away nor cover up, and we will not allow it. They have sought to live in a lie their entire putrid existence on the world stage, and we represent the light of truth that will not allow them to hide under all of their slogans and self-congratulatory rhetoric. Because the greatest sin of all is not on the founders of this wicked country, but on their white countrymen who deny their crimes to this day and try to praise them regardless. They know exactly what type of animals the founders of the U.S. were, and they adore them for it. Because these white people have barely had to do anything for their place in the world. The slave owners and genocidal lunatics carved out these guarantees for them, and for that, the white majority is grateful. That's why America, the United States, represents a special place in the hearts of white people worldwide. It represents the idea that you can have a free lunch, so long as you make innocent people pay for it. The white majority tried to build a society in Europe and predictably failed. They tried to build prosperity for themselves in Europe, and that failed. So now here was a place where the prosperity would be stolen from the blacks and redistributed to the whites. And make no mistake, that is what they are so hot bothered happy about. Point out a state of injustice and you will readily be able to find a gang of immoral scum who are willing to tell any number of lies in order to prop it up. Immorality needs 10 times as many defenders as justice does in order to stand. They need one to be the deep pockets, giving some measure of tangible benefits to those who collaborate with the lie. They need one to be a loud-mouthed liar, supplying the flimsy rhetoric to justify all of this immorality. And then the other eight people act as the mob, playing along with this savage sham. There was a reason why Frederick Douglass specifically condemned the people of the United States in his now classic repudiation of this evil empire. It is the white majority who has benefited from the labor and effort of others in this land. The sins of the United States do not fall just on the heads of the degenerate founders, not just on the heads of the plantation owners and the proprietors of the slave markets, which were almost entirely in the North, I should add. Not even the captains of industry who use slavery to build their power and who to this day benefit from the oceans of innocent blood that they shed. The sin falls on the white majority, the rank and file who since time immemorial have taken perverted glee in bathing in all that innocent blood who lifted barely a finger to earn their daily bread, who saw the free ride that their kin were getting over here, and they wanted to get in on this demonic scam. Free land was what the tribal chieftains of Europe offered to their own knuckle-dragging, hairy-kneed, ignorant masses. Except, of course, the land wasn't free at all. This was the most expensive real estate on the planet. Hundreds of millions of lives, innocent lives, taken 
in order to steal it and force others to build it. There's no amount of money that has ever existed that would be able to even begin to properly compensate for the blood debt owed to those whose lives and freedom was stolen by the white invaders of this continent. And so the white man didn't even try to compensate. Worse than that, he denied owing anything for his hundreds of years of theft and slaughter. And he then mocked the suffering and death of people far better than themselves. You see, that was the real incentive the other Europeans had coming to this land. <coughs> wasn't to work Excuse for a living. Me. They saw the carnage taking place here and couldn't wait to join in. It wasn't the smell of social liberty or religious freedom that drew the European here. It was the smell of blood. Black blood. It was not the prospect of living in peace that made them so eager to get here. It was the prospect of finally being able to vent all of their degenerate, prurient impulses with impunity. The opportunity to finally be able to carry out all manner of barbarity against black people. That and that primarily was what brought the European here. That has always been the price of admission for those pathetic Europeans who wish to become honorary members of the oppressor class. The litmus test has never been whether you were willing to attack other whites, nor was it whether you were willing to kill a Hispanic or an Asian. The litmus test for whether you would be considered for a place at the table of white supremacy, the only litmus test has always been whether you were willing to attack and kill black people. That's how you prove that you were on the team. Neither the Irish emigre, nor the German peasant, nor the later cast-off dregs of Greece, Italy, or Poland were any sort of champion of morality, not even for one another. Can you name the German-American who spoke out for his other European brethren who were being discriminated against, as they called it when they were in these lands originally? Can you name the Italian-American who spoke up for the Greek? Can you name any Anglo-Saxon American who spoke out for any of them? The idea of recognizing the common humanity of others is a totally alien concept to them. They showed no recognition for the humanity of their own kin back in Europe, and they got even worse when they came here. The African never required a declaration of the rights of man, nor a Magna Carta. He didn't need anyone to write it down for him or to convince him of others' humanity because that fundamental truth was already a part of the African's character. It has never been a part of the Europeans, however. This is why they fight against it, and not merely the white elites, nor the white rhetoricians, but the rank and file, the common white man on the street. The ones who came here on the boats, and who the moment they set foot on dry land immediately began engaging in the very same violence as the ones who had been here before them. They didn't even have the shred of decency that would have prompted them to offer an excuse for this total lack of humanity. On the contrary, they revel in it. This was how they lived with themselves. They never bothered to examine their behavior. Because deep down they feared that if they ever had, they might have to face the fact that there was something wrong with it and wrong with them. They took what didn't belong to them, starting with the land. 
then went on to steal the labor of others beyond that to take the lives not of hundreds or thousands or even millions but over 150 million African lives between the transatlantic journey to the hellish killing fields of the Americans. What has happened to the African here and which continues to happen to this very moment is without doubt the worst crime in human history. Savagery and the gleeful joy with which the European American practices his demonic violence is without peer in all the world. There are many tyrannical regimes on Earth, most of whom are supported directly or indirectly by the U.S., but even they know better than to boast that they are the greatest country on Earth and care about freedom more than anyone. They don't brag about treating people better than any other place on the planet. European in America has institutionalized his racism and used all manner of apparatus to protect and sanctify it. In the past, he used the pastor's pulpit because that was the best place to reinforce white supremacy to the masses. As literacy began to spread, he used the classroom and public pamphlets. But at the dawn of the 20th century, the evil empire had a new tool at their disposal, far more insidious than words on a page, and with greater power to persuade than any preacher. The white rulers of this wicked land now had mass media. They could tell people not only what subject of the day was worth talking about, but they also now had the ability to dictate to the people what to think about the subject of the day. Propaganda had gone high tech. There was no need to convince the European American of anything, however. Just give him a whiff of blood and he'd chase right after it, without anyone needing to waste time explaining why he should do it. Indulging their baser instincts has always been an irresistible lure to them. It was the main reason why they became so focused on war above all else historically. They would make killing into their philosophy and depraved slaughter into their religion. And for them, the promised land was a status quo where they would be able to enjoy the fruits of others' labor and to subject other people to whatever level of abuse and degradation they wanted. When you see movies like hostile, so-called torture porn, you should understand that to European Americans, this is not some vision of horror. It is a goal to be strived for. It is a dramatization of their highest aspirations. The rank-and-file white American doesn't support the rich whites because they like them or even because they think that these people are basically good. They do it because in their mind, they will one day be one of them, soon. And when they are in the same tax bracket as Donald Trump, they want to be able to abuse the exact same power that he abuses daily. It is not prosperity or financial security that they seek. It's the ability to be able to afford to live whatever level of debauchery that they want. Evil motivates them, not virtue. And the idea of being able to be one of the elites, this is the carrot on a stick, the base lie that the rich white elites have sold to their ignorant brethren since the caves. That the rank and file are the hard-working peasants who one day will, by the sweat of their honest brows, work their way into the halls of privilege occupied by the white elites. It never
never dawned on any of them, though, that this was a pack of lies after all. If working hard was the way to a life of idle wealth, then how come the rich white elites never lifted a finger in their lives? They spent their entire existences hanging out, goofing off. The rank-and-file whites never saw through the scam, and thanks to racism white supremacy, they would never have to. The white elites duplicated the same in-crowd-out-crowd dynamic that existed among whites, only this time they exported this dynamic to being one between the honorary members of the oppressor class and the blacks. Poor whites would get a couple of nickels to rub together, but the devil's bargain that they all had to sign on to was that the black man had to be held down, and that they would have to become accomplices in the greatest crime in history. That they all had to agree to this. They had to agree to become part of a racialist pyramid scheme. And they were excruciatingly aware that their position in the world was entirely dependent on making sure that those at the bottom stayed there, no matter what it took. Not merely that those at the bottom never rose to the top, but to make sure those at the bottom never rose at all. The one or two cherry-picked blacks, and in comparative terms it's been no more than that, the dim-witted and moronic Negroes who were chosen by the white powers that be to get a million or so dollars, they were also an important part of this racialist scheme. After all, if you're going to focus the collective white will on the threat of black people overturning the system that gave them their guarantees, then you had to have a few examples of black people overturning the system to point to. Otherwise, the rank-and-file whites would eventually focus all their attention on the elite white kin who were still only flicking them crumbs from the table. The evil empire of the United States has always functioned on the use of diversion and deception. It's been that way since the Boston Tea Party. So, why not leave this wicked land, you might ask? Well, you can try, but white supremacy is global, has been for a damn long time. Wherever it is you think you're going to run off to to escape white supremacy, allow me to save you some time, some money, and some disappointment. White supremacy is global, and hence wherever you think you're running off to, it's already beaten you there, and it's been in charge for a damn long time. Because the truth of the matter is, black people are not looking to actually overturn white supremacy. We're trying to figure out if we can escape it, and if all else fails, can we at least find a comfortable place under white supremacy? The African gave the world the very concept of justice. And yet we have been so robbed of spirit and abdicated our own manhood to the point now where we are fully willing to allow the world to be swallowed whole by white injustice and remain there. We are not motivated to fight white supremacy, nor to avenge the sacred blood of our forefathers and foremothers. Instead, we're just trying to find a safe place to hide. Well, no such place exists. The African gave the world the concept of fighting for the restoration of justice, and now a challenge greater than any other stands before him. And we will not shrink from this fight. We stand, and we make our stand here. And we do so because white supremacy owes us a blood debt. And it is a debt that will not go unpaid.
I spit upon the traditions, the founding, the institutions, and the heroes of this sick country. Mm -hmm. Unity is a fraud in the United States. The people who say it can barely do so with a straight face. And until this wicked white system has been brought not merely to its knees, but crushed to dust, we will not stop fighting and we will not quit the battlefield until we stand alone victorious. To this day, the white majority still repeat the same old lies about how the U.S. is a beacon of freedom to the world. And at the same time are constantly pointing out who they intend to bomb to hell next. It's a self-fulfilling proposition. If the world needs the U.S.'s power to make the world safe for democracy, then the natural question that follows is, well, who is trying to make the world unsafe for democracy? And not surprisingly, white supremacy has their laundry list of just who it might be. It is not about fighting some enemy. It is about justifying what white supremacy has done for its place in the world. The last and only time North America was ever invaded was in the 15th century when the Europeans overran the place. Since then, no one has had the wealth, the logistical means, or the military power to force themselves on the U.S. And yet, this secure place, with a powerful army and two vast oceans to defend it, makes it logistically impossible to bring enough men to overrun it, and yet it has a military more powerful than the next ten nations combined. That is not an army of self-defense. That is an army of empire, whose purpose is to amass enough force to make sure that it freezes the world the way that it is, and to guarantee that no one has the ability to unfreeze it. And all empires require an internal enemy or underclass in order to guide and mislead the rank and file into supporting the empire. You can go all the way back to the Romans with that particular con, from the slave revolt led by Spartacus to the revolt by Boudicca. Praise the underdog while you beat him down for his insolence. You trick the oppressed into thinking that you can have some scant measure of recognition and admiration for your suffering, when in truth, the only thing the oppressor seeks to do is to make his soldier class more immune and hardened to the clear humanity of those that they subjugate and kill. That is what Dr. John Henry Clark stated as the evil genius of Europe. See, any fool can con his serf class into fighting savages or inhuman brutes or any other group who they've defined outside of the human family, but when you are able to present the enemy as being intelligent, courageous, and valorous hell, even moral, and then you are able to get your armed thugs to ignore all of his basic humanity regardless and kill him with savagery, then you have truly achieved a rare state of evil. It is not that the white majority doesn't see that what they're doing is wrong. It's that they don't care. And at this moment in the world, the planet is in the sick grip of white supremacy, and it falls to the black man and the black woman to pry their satanic fingers from the world. And so, since white people so love to emulate the savage example of the Romans, 
allow me to end this condemnation of this sick white country and its holiest of holidays, the 4th of July, with the words of a Roman, Tacitus, who himself imagined what the tribal chieftains of Britannia might have said to one another as they rallied to fight the Roman invasion. Vainly by servility and compliance will you seek to escape them, but you cannot. The plunderers of the world, they have laid waste the land till there is no more left, and now they scour the sea. If a people are rich, they are worth robbing. If poor, they are worth enslaving, and neither the east nor the west can content their greedy ambitions. They are the only men in all the world whose lust of conquest makes them find in wealth and in poverty equally tempting baits. To robbery, murder, and outrage, they give the lying title of government. They have created a desolation and called it